0: And welcome. My name is Tom. This is The Enthusiasm Project Season 11, Episode 4, Can You Believe It? And I've got a lot in store for Episode 4 because today we're going to talk about adding video to your podcast. And yes, I'm aware of the irony that this is an audio-only podcast all about video because I have chosen not to add video to my podcast, which we will talk about, at least for the time being. And uh, this is a this is a big topic that I'm a little nervous to talk about because I think I think sometimes I can mistakenly make it seem like I am against video podcasts, which I absolutely am not. I think video podcasting is great. I think it's just it's such a big topic and an understanding it, understanding what you're biting off, you're not making sure you're not biting off more than you can chew. When you want to add video to a podcast, I think is very important, and I've just seen it become such a distraction and such a workflow nightmare for so many people, especially those just starting out. That I always just want people to be really sure that they know what they're doing or they know why they're doing it before they jump into video podcasting. It is a very big topic. I kind of feel like it's it's almost uh, you know I'll teach you calculus in an hour, and it's going to be way too much to cover. So. That's sort of how video podcasting is, but I think I've broken things down in a way that I hope is helpful, and that will at least maybe answer some questions, give you some ideas about workflows, and if nothing else, then also point you in the direction of which other questions to ask as time goes on. So that's kind of the goal today as we talk about video podcasting. Before we jump into that, though, we got to talk about gear, because I definitely switch things up a lot <laughs> today, this week, so... You're listening to me right now on a microphone that I cannot tell you what it is because it's not released yet, but it was just uh, shipped out the other day and I used it and I really like it and I'm excited about it. There are a few details I'm waiting to learn, specifically the price, because I think that's going to be a huge determining factor. And the tease that I can give is that if this microphone is priced where I hope that it is, it essentially kills another microphone in the same lineup, I know that's like a, a clickbaity thing to say. Like, is this the the X, you know, is X microphone the Y microphone killer? In this case, in my opinion, it would kind of kill another microphone for most people. Um, and and that's kind of a cool thing because you, it's kind of cool. So we'll we'll see about that. Uh, but I also took a risk because I'm running this into the Mackie DLZ Creator which I've only used on actual podcasts a couple of times because it's there's a learning curve is crazy on this thing. So maybe, I hope the mic sounds good. I've spent a lot of time trying to work with it. I've done a bunch of samples and tests. But if you're like, ah, oh, that mic sounds terrible, just blame me and my EQ skills on the Mackie DLZ because it's very different. Um, if you you remember a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about it and the big reason I haven't used it a lot is because there is a huge learning curve, but also it it has had issues finalizing files, so I'll record for an hour or more, and then the file like doesn't get finalized, and it's almost a non-usable audio file. Fortunately, my, I've totally updated everything, I've done a bunch of tests, and it seems like everything is working fine. So uh, I do have just some basic EQ turned on, so if I turn off the EQ, this is sort of what the mic sounds like without it. And in a way, this almost, I almost uh, it's hard to say if I don't like that better or not. The EQ includes uh, some actual like graphic equalization, a bit of de-essing, which I think does make a difference. If I turn off the de-esser, now you hear a lot more of those harsh sibilants, but if I turn on the de-esser, it helps a lot. The thing I'm really questioning though is the noise gate. I've learned to like the RODECaster noise gate, uh, but now if I turn off the noise gate, this is what the mic sounds like, which actually, oh, I feel like there's a little more breathing room here maybe more you can hear like the fan from my light turning on if i turn on the noise gate it gets really quiet when i stop talking but i do kind of worry that the uh maybe the attack is too uh too i don't know too too aggressive maybe uh might be the case so i'm actually live tweaking it right now but hopefully this sounds okay and gives you an idea of what this microphone sounds like and how this microphone works and we also then have the dlz creator go in here, which I'm a little bit nervous about because I sure, sure hope that this works. Uh, But anyway, jumping into the topic of today's show, video to a podcast. So to keep things extra simple, if you just want to know the basics of video podcasting, I have added a section to my website that I'll put in the show notes for this episode that is gear recommendations for specific setups. It's almost like a restaurant menu. That was kind of my inspiration was a restaurant menu. And you can go there and just sort of click like, one person podcast, two person video podcast, four person audio like whatever kind of setup you're looking for and it will give you um all of the components you would need to get up and running with prices and links to the specific equipment so it, it'll even say like, you know, one person audio podcast setup $300, you know, four person video podcast setup <laughs> price unlimited kind of thing like I try to give you actual budgets there. Everything is is up to date with, you know, current equipment recommendations and everything. And it includes not just the big stuff like, oh, a microphone or a mixer, but also stuff like cables and memory cards and all the little things that are easy to forget. And so you order equipment to put together like a podcast setup and then you realize, oh, I forgot like all the little bits that I need to actually get this up and running. So if you go to Tom.com and then click on gear, there's a thing that says recommended setups. I also put a link to that in the description Also, since we are talking about podcast production, just like we were last week when we talked about audio podcast production, I do wanna just throw out a 10% promo code for all of my courses. So the Podcaster Playbook, which is the podcast production course, the Podcaster Idea Book, which is the ideation, the creating your concept course, and Rough Cut to Final Cut, which is my Final Cut Pro editing course. Could be very helpful if you're wanting to edit a video podcast. You can use promo code ENTHUSIASM uh, and get 10% off any or all of those courses. Of course, of course, link will be in the description. Or you can just go to HiMyNameIsTom.com slash courses and click on the one that you're interested in. So though that's all the like housekeeping stuff out of the way. The next thing now, let's jump into our topic, video podcasting. I think the biggest misconception is that sometimes, especially if someone already has an audio podcast up and running, like right now, I'm a talking into a microphone, recording into a mixer. I think sometimes people can think, oh, I'll add a video component. It doesn't need to be complicated. I'll just set up a camera and hit record. Just one shot, and that's it. It is so much more complicated than that. And I think the biggest question you need to ask yourself when you're considering doing a video podcast is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Are you going, you know, like, have you ever seen those things, I don't know, like old cartoons or whatever, where someone gets like, you know, a hundred lemons and tries to smash them together, together and they get like one little drop of lemon juice or orange juice or whatever. Like, is is it really worth the effort for what you're doing? Because adding video is exponentially more complicated than just dealing with audio. And it's it's quite a beast. And it's just an important thing to ask. And the answer could very well be yes. And there are so many amazing video podcasts out there Where the answer is yes, that juice is worth the squeeze. You are getting more out of it than you're, you know, like the outcome is worth what you're putting into it sort of thing. So one way to start answering that question is to very simply just think, where is this video going to go? Because I think sometimes people forget, you got your audio podcast set up, you know, I got my Buzzsprout account going, I'm going to do a video podcast. Wait, how do people even watch this video podcast? Where is it going to go? It sounds sort of simple, but if you already have sort of people finding your podcast in certain directories and through certain links, how are you going to bring in this video component? Uh, there's really two, two ways, one of which is is extremely obvious. Uh, the, the less obvious one is that Spotify does support video podcasting. And if you use Spotify for podcasters, formerly known as Anchor, uh, you can upload a video version of your podcast and they do it very well because on Spotify you'll be able to watch the video version but then they will also just parse out the audio and send it to you know to your feeds and your directory so that's kind of cool like you you have your video file is your one file and it's going to accommodate both the video people who will have to watch through Spotify and the audio people and everybody's kind of good with that one file which is really really cool obviously if you want to share video YouTube is you know is the number one place to go right and and YouTube has been making massive pushes towards podcasting in the past year. And the biggest benefit, the absolute biggest benefit to YouTube is discoverability. More than any podcast directory, more than Spotify, more than any of that stuff, you know, YouTube's ability to recommend stuff and, and you know, surface videos to viewers all over, to billions of viewers all over the world definitely is what makes it stand out compared to a lot of the other services. So it would be, I think it would be silly to have a video podcast and not put it on YouTube because that's that's the biggest benefit. And it wouldn't really surprise me if you end up noticing that you get more views, more attention on your video podcast through YouTube than through traditional directories. However, it's tough to say if those are going to be quality listens and quality views because if somebody goes to a podcast directory You know, they go, whatever, they open up Overcast or Apple Podcasts and they search up your show or they they follow or subscribe to your show and they listen to every episode. Those are people who are really committed, whereas YouTube, because it will just surface stuff to people who may find it, discover it, and love it, you're also going to get a bunch of people who just sort of bounce in and bounce out after a few seconds. And sometimes then that could be maybe... It could give you like a false impression, like, oh, wow, you know, on my audio version of my podcast got sixty five downloads this week, but my video version got a thousand views. Like, but did a thousand people actually listen to the whole thing? Probably not, honestly. So, you know, that's something to consider. but youtube's YouTube's um, approach to podcasting has really grown in the past year, and that's been very exciting because, Uh, What you can basically do now is create a playlist, add videos to that playlist, and mark the playlist as a podcast. And then it will be available in, in uh, like all of the within YouTube podcast directories, but also on YouTube music. So that's that's a pretty cool way to get discovered. It works out really, really well. The downside here though is, if you have an existing show, if you're starting from scratch, then you can dive into YouTube. But if you still wanna do the audio and video component, you're, you're, you have two separate files, two separate links, two separate workflows. Um, even if you want to upload your video to Spotify, but then you also want it to be on YouTube, you're uploading the file again over on YouTube to make it visible there. But let's say my show, The Enthusiasm Project. I have the audio version. It's in all the directories. If I want to add a video version, I have to then you know essentially create a podcast on YouTube and upload it there. And anytime I want to direct people to my podcast... I have to decide which of these two links to share with them, and that can be confusing. you know it's always messy, anything like that. so what I'm personally waiting for, I'm actually very on board with adding a video element to my podcast because after four years and a hundred and some odd episodes, I feel like I'm ready for it. you know I've experimented with it a little bit in the past, but I would like it to I would like to make it more of a regular thing, and I've even got like ecam stuff all set up so that way through like you know. The use of Ecamm, the use of Stream Deck and some automation and stuff, it can be a pretty simple on-the-fly workflow. But what I'm waiting for is for YouTube to embrace RSS feeds, which they did say they were going to do when they first started announcing their push to podcasting. And I think that that's a big deal for anyone in my situation where you already have an existing show, an existing library, and you don't want that to have to be a second link to be able to bring essentially use YouTube as a podcast directory and connect your RSS feed to YouTube. I don't know the fine details of how this would work because you'd be uploading a video file to YouTube, but then pulling in episodes from the RSS feed, but basically where everything can be located in one place and even existing files like this episode that does not have a video component. If you could, YouTube could pop it up and like YouTube music, just like Spotify, we just show the the podcast artwork and play the you know, play the audio, and then if a vi- if an episode does have a video component, then show the video component and, you know, play the audio as well. So I don't know how they could do that. The benefit to YouTube in doing that is that they don't have to host the shows that, that are being linked to through the RSS feed. Like, they would be hosted on Buzzsprout, YouTube would be the player, and then knowing YouTube, they probably still put ads on top of it as well, so they'd be, ad- be able to put advertising on data that they are not hosting. So that kind of seems like, you know, a benefit, right, to them, maybe annoying to, you know, viewers and stuff. But anyway, they said they are going to do that. And I think that's the big key for people who've had podcasts for many years, hundreds, some people have thousands of episodes. It's it's very unappealing, the idea of starting from scratch with YouTube podcasting. You know, push might come to shove and it might just become inevitable that like, that's just what you have to do. If you want to have a video podcast is okay. I don't know, either add this to a playlist on an existing channel or start a new channel for the podcast and that whole dilemma. I'm kind of waiting to see right now, even though YouTube podcasting has become better and it's a cool option. And it's definitely something you you should consider if you want to create a video podcast. To me, it still kind of seems like it's in it's in beta mode. And so that's the the first thing to consider. We haven't even talked about gear. We haven't talked about the process. We've just talked about like, what would you even do with a video version of your podcast? Where would it go? Where would it live? What, What are you gonna do there? The next thing, a question that I get a lot is people wanna do video podcasts, but they almost don't wanna use a camera. And instead they wanna use like a static image. They wanna make a video file, take their audio file, throw it into a video editor, add an image like their podcast artwork on it or like a visualizer that shows the sound waves bouncing up and down and that's their video podcast. Even though I said I wish YouTube would do that with existing episodes through the RSS feed, I don't think you should do that if you're starting a video podcast. Obviously, you can do whatever you want. It's my opinion that that's... that's, that's not the purpose of video podcasting on YouTube. If you're embracing YouTube to do a video podcast, you should have a video podcast, not kind of trick people into like, was this a video? Oh, it's not. It Just stick with audio only at that point. And I feel like YouTube, if they haven't already, they will kind of crack down on being able to easily tell this video podcast is actually a video of people like podcasting. This video podcast is a static image or a you know non people. It's not actual video, um, and I feel like when it comes to what is being recommended and surfaced, those things are going to play a factor. That's just my thought, but anyway, that's that's kind of the 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 core question is where would the video component even go, like. What are you going to do with this thing? When I was a kid and my best friend and I would make movies every, you know, God, we made like a hundred Steven Seagal level movies from the ages of like 11 to 14. And we never considered like, who was going to watch these? You know, they're all on eight millimeter and VHS tapes and stuff. And the the idea of like people seeing them never even crossed our minds. We were just making the movies and then we'd show them whoever was there. I think that was, especially for the time period, that was fine for the developmental period that we were at, you know, technically, creatively, emotionally, uh, that was probably appropriate. I don't think that's the approach to take now with video podcasting. If you're going to if you're going to take on this beast of adding video to your podcast, make sure you know where it's going to go before you do that. And a big way that you're going to determine how practical that is is what your workflow is going to be. Because the first thing you know, people love to jump to like, what camera do I need for a video podcast? And it's, it's like, well, first, yeah, where's the video gonna go? Second, what kind of workflow do you want? Because the type of workflow you're gonna use will have a big impact on the type of camera or cameras that you wanna use for your video podcast as well. So I think a big question to ask when it comes to workflows, it's transition now to talking about workflows. I think a big question to ask is, are you going to edit your show or is it going to be essentially live to disc, live to tape in the olden days? Like this episode is being recorded to the DLZ creator. I play the music live at the beginning and end, stop recording. Unless something goes horribly wrong in the next, you know, 40 minutes, it's not an edited show. It's just a straight, it's outlined and practiced and thought through, but the actual recording is not edited. Is that the approach that you're going to take with your video podcast? Or. Are you gonna film it and then throw it into a video editor and tighten it up and edit it? Does that mean you're gonna be switching between different camera angles? How are you gonna do that? You know, all of those types of things there. But the biggest the biggest question that recording live to disc or editing will answer is if you're going to be recording internally to your camera or recording internally to a computer. And of course, you can kind of mix and match those. But, you know, if you're just setting up one two or three cameras pressing record on each camera and then combining all that footage and editing software that it's a different workflow than if you're trying to switch between angles live on the fly and by the time you're done recording the episode you have your finished edited episode or at least it's you know 90 percent there and maybe you need to throw on some intro and outro video or something or just you know tighten things up a little bit Um, a cool way to do this though is to just use your computer And then a program like Ecamm Live or OBS. Ecamm is obviously my favorite. I've talked about Ecamm a lot. It's not free. It's paid. I just today had to renew my Ecamm subscription for the year. So it came out to $384 a year. So a little over a dollar a day is essentially the price for Ecamm Live. Um, You can do monthly too. But if you use it a lot, not that you have to use it every day, but if you use it a lot and use it regularly, that price is just, it's absolutely worth it. If you're only going to be using this once in a while and you don't have the budget for it, you don't want to pay the money. Then a program like OBS is great because even though both of those programs, Ecam and OBS, are often viewed as streaming applications because that was their original intent, they can also just record locally to your computer or to whatever disk that you choose. And that's incredibly helpful so you can, you know, you can set up different scenes, set up different camera angles, add in graphics, Switch between them live. You can, you know, if you add in a little stream deck, an Elgato stream deck to that, you can then switch between scenes on the fly, like with physical buttons like a switcher and produce a whole show while you're recording live. And Ecamm has added in, they've had isolated audio tracks for a while, but they've also recently added in isolated video tracks as well. So you can get separate tracks for all, all the things going into Ecamm Live, which is nice, especially if you're trying to decide. Whether you're going to use multi or single cameras, uh, single camera, especially if you're a single person, not necessarily married or unmarried, but if you're a one individual person, probably just using one camera is the best way to go. It, it can be fun to have other angles, and if you can add those in easily, that's cool. But for the most part, just one angle. You know that's what I've always done, pretty much for the um, the video podcast that I've done. That's going to let you focus on what you're what you're actually communicating and not trying to switch or pay attention to different cameras while you're also doing that because that takes some brain power and some multitasking that is very difficult to do and uh, very difficult to get good at too as well. So I definitely kind of recommend if you're one person especially just starting out single cameras probably the way to go. Um but you know there are cool things to do. I have a whole video that's all about how to set up automated camera switching in Ecam Live and there's a built-in feature that lets you do it, but the problem with it is it looks very robotic because you can you can basically just set like timers for each camera. So if you have two cameras, you could set like, okay, 20 seconds here, 10 seconds there, but then it just kind of goes back and forth and it's not going to cut based on the flow of the conversation. It's not going, it's going to be just, you know, the same amount of time back and forth, back and forth. I don't think that looks great. Um, I don't know of any software currently that, does a good job of cutting back and forth based on conversation. So if you have someone else in person with you and there's a camera on each of you trying to get it to automatically cut to whoever's talking, seems like it would be a simple basic feature, but I don't know of any software currently that does that reliably. And that would be really cool. That's something I would love to see. Um, So I did make a video in Ecamm Live that does not solve the cutting when somebody is talking problem, but it does show you how to add in what looks like more random timings to your cuts. And that way it's not, each camera isn't on there for the exact same amount of time every time, just kind of in this looped order. And it looks very robotic. It looks a little more natural to let something breathe for a bit. Something's a little quicker, something breathes. But again, you do run the risk of somebody saying something really important and then just automatically cutting to something else. So, you know, it's an imperfect system, but Those are all the kind of questions that go into, are you doing live to disc? Are you gonna edit this? Are you doing multi-camera? Are you doing single camera? And of course, a big question in today's world with podcasting is, are you doing remote or are you doing in person? If it's just you by yourself, and I tend to just like, because that's what I do, that's what I think of, but of course, you know, there are so many different types of podcasts and different workflows out there that if you are doing a remote podcast, How are you gonna do that in terms of video? If you've ever done remote podcasting audio only, there's hurdles, there are hurdles to overcome there. Just getting decent audio quality, right? Like, I think the the impulse everyone had a few years ago was like, we just record a Zoom call and take the audio. But Zoom, it doesn't matter what audio you're running into it, it butchers it and makes it sound horrific. So never use Zoom audio for a podcast because it sounds so, so bad. So how do you get good audio? Okay. On your end, you could record. Does the other person record locally on their end and send you the file? That's what I've done a lot, you know, when I do like podcasts with Peter Lindgren and stuff, but that's someone who's a professional video creator, so I can trust them to record high quality audio, send it over on time. Maybe not every person or every guest you have, you know, has those capabilities. Those are things to to consider and to work with, and of course, there are you know, there's browser-based software that you can record remotely with. Ecamm is probably my favorite one because it is the highest quality. It's not totally perfect. Sometimes there are weird delays with their interview mode, but if you can get over that, it's the best. It's just the best overall one, especially because you can then on the fly very easily create scenes and, you know, split screens and graphics and jump between people. And you can really edit the show nicely on the fly live and, you know, piece everything together uh, before the show actually starts recording. And that is very, very cool. And you do get those separate isolated tracks for each person. Um, Riverside is great. Obviously I've talked about Riverside on here. They sponsored a, a whole season, a few seasons back. Um, but while Riverside is good, it's basically high quality Zoom, like you, you log in and then you get high quality audio and video files from each person in the call. Uh, I've just, it's gotten less reliable lately. I don't know. It's just gotten not as super reliable as it would be before, and so I prefer eCam Live over Riverside for reliability reasons. But if you don't have a Mac or you don't have eCam, Riverside could be a cool thing to check out um, because it, it does work well a lot of the time. But boy, it's so frustrating when you you know you set up a time to record with someone. And then you have silly technical issues that you have to sort out because of like the software you're using. If the person is a co-host and you know each other really well, it's not as stressful because you know each other. But if it's a guest, you know, you've scheduled a guest and someone's taken time out of their, their schedule to be on your show. And then it's like some dumb software problem stops you from recording on time. That is very, very frustrating. So that's something to consider if you're doing a remote podcast is how are you gonna do it And then a big question, too, is do you care about consistency between the different hosts or the host and the guests, like the different shots? Most people don't, and I think that that's okay, but that means it's not uncommon to then see video podcasts where one person has, you know, a very, like, high-quality-looking setup and other people have, you know, they're just using, like, their MacBook webcam or whatever and it doesn't look. there's, There's a pretty big disparity between quality. I don't think that that actually matters. I don't think that that negatively affects the content of the show. But, you know, it's it's something to be aware of if you're like, oh yeah, we'll do this remote thing. I've spent all this time building a studio and my co-host has a webcam. Wait a minute, our stuff isn't gonna look, (laughs) it's not gonna look consistent. Is that going to be a problem? Is that not going to be a problem? And then something that has been growing in popularity, which I think is really fun and really cool, is multi-person in-person video podcast. So it's not remote. It's you are in the same room with other people. And that means you might need to consider building a set. Are you set to build a set? I guess that would apply to to anything even a I guess that applies to all levels. Let me break this down. If you are an individual recording your video podcast, there's still an element of needing a set, right? You probably need to have a background. Maybe it's very small, very simple, very plain. Maybe it's very complex but you need to figure out where you're going to film. And that also includes all the other things because now you're adding video. Video is a lot more than just a camera. Video is also lighting. <laughs> it's also figuring out how to power that camera. How to, you know, do you have a hard drive you're recording to? Do you have an SD card you're recording to? All of those questions come into play once you start adding in video and then lighting because a camera can't do anything if it can't capture light. So now do you have a lighting setup? How it's a lot to add in, right? And now if you're building a set for multiple people, you're not just trying to make one person look good, you're trying to make all of the people, if there are two or three people looking good, trying to make all of them look good. So do you have a set and a lighting setup that works for that? Obviously, you don't have to have professional Hollywood broadcast quality to start your video podcast. You know, you can start basic and start with, you know, simple stuff, but just be realistic, you know, be aware of that too. I have seen plenty of, I guess the the best strategy I've seen for people just starting out is even if they have like two people and a guest, it's usually three people on screen is what I've seen do this a lot. You have two co-hosts and then you have a guest each week and they will just set up one camera. That's just a wide shot of everybody and try to make a little set that kind of looks nice. Sometimes it's in a living room or an office or garage or whatever they make it look as nice as possible it's brightly lit as much as possible. And that's it. And that works pretty darn well like that. That is a a more than usable experience for the listener. And as long as it sounds good, as long as your audio still sounds good, then the, the lacking of video quality or the lacking of different angles won't matter as much. But as you're diving into like, I want to create my show, we're going to build a set, we're going to do all this that Again, is the juice worth the squeeze? Especially when you remember when it comes to video podcasting, I like them. Like, I won't lie. If there is two options, if I want to listen to an episode and there's a video version and a non-video version, I'll choose the video version. Because why not? They put, they burned the calories to create it. I'll watch it. But I'm not sitting there staring at the screen for the whole hour, just watching people talk. I'm kind of, it's on and I'm listening the whole time, but I'm kind of just glancing to and from the screen. So just remember that's probably how your video podcast is going to be consumed is it's on and people are sort of, it's in the background and they're kind of glancing up at it. There's nothing wrong with that. It would be kind of crazy to expect people to stare at a screen for, you know, 60 to 90 minutes or more. And it's just kind of a static image of just a person talking. It'd be like, it'd be very weird. But as you're, you know, bending over backwards and, and, draining your budget to build this video podcasting setup, maybe remember that most people aren't going to be staring at it the whole time, every time. So just something to keep in mind. And then also as we're talking about the workflow and recording into a computer, that is also where something like an ATEM Mini would come into play. Obviously those are wonderful for video podcasting because you can connect multiple HDMI sources, multiple cameras to the ATEM. And then the ATEM can either be the capture card that runs to your computer and you can record into Ecamm, OBS or whatever, or you can even connect an SSD directly to the ATEM and record right in there. And this is where, especially in the world where um, DaVinci Resolve is growing in popularity, if you have one of the ATEM ISO models, they will record separate audio and video tracks for each source to the connected hard drive and it will also record it will create a DaVinci Resolve project file based on the cuts that you've made so as you're recording through and you're cutting between cameras it will remember that and create a project file you can open up in Resolve and then you can you know fine tune it and tighten it if you want so it's like you're recording live to disk but if you decide that you want to uh, you know to edit it and to fine tune it later on you can do that and you don't have to start from scratch you already have a project file as soon as you've stopped recording. Okay, so now let's move in and talk about cameras. Obviously, if we're talking about video podcasting. Talking about cameras is uh is unavoidable. <laughs> but there are so many different there's just so many different ways to approach this. So again, very broad, very high-level discussion here, right? We're not not too much into the weeds. Earlier I mentioned that you could either record internally or run the camera signal. To your computer to a capture card or whatever. So let's talk about uh, if you're going to record internally, what does that mean? What do you need? A couple things that you need. One is memory cards. Do you have a memory card that will last the length of your show? And if your camera has two memory card slots, you know, are you going to, to have it where they it's like overflow when card one fills up it just starts recording on card b or are you going to have them record simultaneously so that way you have a backup of your show which is not a terrible idea especially if you have guests and stuff after some issues i had if you might remember earlier this year i now make sure that all of my cameras have two memory cards recording simultaneously for all of my videos so that everything is always backed up just in case something goes wrong and something goes weird um, and most of the time I never need that, but it's nice to know that you have it if you do need it. So do you have memory cards that are going to last as long as your show? And you don't want to, like, if you're planning to record for an hour, you don't want to get a memory card that can record for 65 minutes because you never know. Like, you don't want to start sweating because you're realizing, like, oh, my God, my camera's going to run out of of space, but we're in the middle of this really cool conversation and I don't want to wrap it up. Like, give yourself more than enough memory card room and that can be expensive, especially if you're using newer cameras and you're recording in 4K and all that stuff, getting memory cards that, you know, if you're getting like a 256 gigabyte V90 SD card, that might be three three $350 per memory card, something like that. So it can get very expensive to record internally to a camera. And then the other thing is, how are you gonna power these cameras? Especially if you are recording internally, they're gonna drain the battery faster. But even if you're not recording internally, just having them on for a long period of time is going to drain the battery as well. So the best thing you can do is find way find a way to run your camera off of you know wall power. And the sorry, I thought I thought I was trying to think of a pun that involved wallflower power because as as a former wallflower, I was like, hey, wallflower power. But anyway, wall power. Yes, you need that for your camera. And. Some camera models have whole dummy battery systems where it's like, it looks like a camera battery, but it has a power cord attached to it. And you put the battery into the camera, the fake battery into the camera, and then plug the cord into the wall. And now you can run off wall power. I know my Sony cameras all have USB-C power, which is really nice, but they don't work on just any USB-C power supply. So I had to buy a very specific, uh, it's a it's a power adapter. I think it's a 65 watt, power adapter that has two USB-C ports on it, and that can run two cameras. It can charge them and it can run them, and that way the battery doesn't drain over any amount of time that the cameras are plugged in. Because the problem I was having prior to that was I would connect my, you know, say my FX3 to USB-C power, and it would have a fully charged battery, and then I would do a live stream or something, and I would notice the battery is still draining down, and I would start panicking because it's like, oh, now I've got 12% battery left, but I think there's there's going to be, you know, a you know, stream for another 10 minutes. Is that going to last? That's not fun. So making sure you have enough power and enough memory for your camera is very important depending on, you know, depending on your workflow. And that's also why even though it's totally possible to just start filming with the phone or a GoPro or something... Do you, d- is your camera that you're using equipped to do that? Is your phone equipped to stay on for that long? Do you have enough storage in your phone to record for an hour? How are you gonna manage that media when it's done? Like before you record the next episode, you probably need to clear off that video file, right? Like delete it. If you're using something like a GoPro, I'm gonna work on a whole video about this. Um, Cause you can totally use GoPros to film long time for live streams. But if you're recording internally, it's definitely going to overheat before an hour runs out, even if you're in a nice, cool studio environment. So, a GoPro would be something that you need to run through, you know, a capture card or use as a USB webcam instead. I'm going to do a whole video about that, but those kind of needs for your specific cameras very important. And if you are going to have multiple cameras, do you care about the cameras matching? If you're starting from scratch, like you know, when I was putting together our broadcast studio setup at uh, my digital media program when I was teaching and we needed four cameras, I made sure to order the exact same four camera, like the same camera four times. So that way everything, the controls are the same, everything functions exactly the same. If you set the white balance to one setting on one camera and one on another, it's gonna look exactly the same. Like you can cut between them and it just looks like the same camera being moved around. It's one big reason that I love, even though I have three different models of Sony camera, my FX3 and my a7S 3 have the exact same sensor. So it's kind of the same thing. When I set the settings on those cameras, the colors and the exposure, everything matches perfectly. The a7 IV does have a different sensor, but it's close enough. And with the Sony, you know, with the Sony processing and the Sony color science, whatever you want to call it behind it, it's easy to mix that in. But it, in the times when then I throw my Canon camera into the mix with the Sony cameras, it doesn't match exactly right. So it takes a lot more time in editing to make things match up, um, which is not a problem. Like if you're putting together your podcast and you're just combining what you have, so you're gonna take, you know, you have a Sony a7 IV, but you also have an iPhone and a GoPro and you wanted to smash all those together and use those as your three cameras, it is very possible to do that. But it is going to take a little bit of time and planning to help it not be distracting when you cut between those angles because the quality is going to be so different between them. And, and you can totally overcome those things. And, you know, if you're using a GoPro and a mirrorless camera together, you probably don't want to use a super shallow depth of field on the mirrorless camera because the GoPro has a very wide depth of field. And if you're cutting between those, that might look a little strange. So if you try to make a match by having a very wide depth of field on both cameras, then the difference is going to be a little less noticeable. If you're environment that you're filming in is lit really well, and there's plenty of there's plenty of light sources happening, again, the cameras will perform a lot better. And like I mentioned, when it comes to cameras, if you're not recording internally, you do have a lot more options. So I would encourage you, if you want to do a video podcast, not to record internally to your camera. The reason for that, like I mentioned, the, the SD cards and the memory cards get very expensive and can fill up very quickly, but also internal recording uses a lot more power, so not an issue if you're connected to battery power, but it also does generate a lot more heat, and that's where cameras can start to overheat more, especially after a long period of time. If you have something like the FX3 or the FX30 that has a built-in fan, you shouldn't ever have to worry about overheating, but if you have a GoPro or even a phone or you know some other mirrorless cameras and you're recording internally, Overheating and then the camera just shutting off randomly is definitely a thing that probably will happen in the course of a longer podcast episode. If you're not recording internally, the camera is just sending its signal out elsewhere. That means the camera is doing so much less processing internally that it's going to then generate a lot less heat and then overheating won't be a problem. So there are a lot of cameras that have overheating issues while recording that have no overheating issues while just using them as a source for a stream or a podcast. So I definitely do recommend not recording internally if you can with any camera. And you know, um you can even do that with a phone. I just recently did a video that shows how to connect your phone to an A10 mini using the Blackmagic Camera app. So that means your phone can be a uh, an unlimited video source basically and the the adapter that you use to do that While it gives you HDMI out, it also gives you power in so you can charge the phone while sending the signal out. You're not taking up any space on your phone and it'll just stay on as long as you want it to stay on, which is very, very, very cool. Um, And that's you know that Blackmagic app on the phone running through the ATEM, which is very, very cool. Same thing with GoPros and all that. However, a question that I get a lot is people who are, they're willing to buy a new setup and they just wanna know what to buy and what the recommendations are. And the biggest, if you're, doing, if you're in that position where you're like, okay, I'm happy to invest. I just want to get a camera, maybe a couple cameras for my podcast. What would be the best thing to get? The biggest decision you're going to have to make is do you want a mirrorless camera or a camcorder? Because those are quite different. Generally speaking, a mirrorless camera will probably have slightly better image quality. You're going to have a bigger sensor. You're probably going to have a nicer lens on it. The mirrorless camera that I always recommend when people are just starting out and jumping in is the Sony zve 10 because it's just such a high quality camera and you can, the lens it comes with is a very capable lens, but then you can swap out, you know, you know you have Sony's whole E-mount lineup and Tamron and Sigma and all those other ones that you can add onto it. So it's very, very versatile. If you have a little bit more in your budget, I think the FX30 from Sony is a really good choice because it's basically everything I love about my FX3 but at half the price, and the reason it's half the price is because it has a crop sensor. So it has a smaller sensor than the FX3 does, but a way bigger sensor than a camcorder will, and it has that built-in fan, and it's it's a great studio camera. So those are, those are kind of my two mirrorless recommendations, but of course, you know, there's other brands out there. You can build a whole ecosystem around Blackmagic cameras if you really want to dive into like ATEMs and Blackmagic studio cameras, and, you know, you're building like I mean, to be honest with you, if I were building out a like a new broadcast studio or a podcast studio from scratch today, I would probably really consider looking at the Blackmagic ecosystem. The only hesitation I have is the lack of autofocus and it depends on camera operators whether or not that's gonna be an issue or not. But otherwise, you know, those are things that are all meant to play together very, very well and give professional results. But mirrorless cameras are gonna, you know, they're gonna be better in low light better overall image quality, more shallow depth of field. So if you really do love that blurry background look, you know, clear subject, blurry background look, a mirrorless camera is definitely the way to go. There are some more workarounds you have to do with mirrorless cameras because generally they're not designed to record for long periods of time. So everything we just talked about with not recording internally definitely applies. Camcorders, on the other hand, are really great for studio cameras uh, because they're, they're generally designed to record for a long period of time. Most camcorders come with some way right out of the box to run them off of wall power. So, you know, mirrorless camera, oftentimes you have to buy something else, buy an adapter, buy a dummy battery, whatever. Camcorders, it usually just shows up right in the box. You can just do it right away, which is awesome. Um, Like I said, they are typically meant for longer form recording. They don't have overheating issues. They have built-in lenses, so you lose the flexibility of being able to Swap out your lens, but a camcorder's lens is typically very versatile. They go pretty wide and they usually zoom in really far. So that's going to cover pretty much every scenario you could find in a studio environment, um, which is which is really, really nice. The image quality oftentimes just not going to be quite as good as what you would find on a mirrorless camera. Although there are camcorders out there with, you know, phenomenal image quality. It kind of just depends also on the quality of the camera you get. There's a huge difference between like the $200 or $250 camcorder that you see at Best Buy versus like a $1,000 or a $2,000 camcorder. They're really, it's almost like comical how different they are in terms of quality and usability and features and everything. So I definitely wouldn't recommend like, oh, I'll do my podcast with a camcorder. Go get the cheapest one you can find because it's probably going to cause you a lot of frustration. But if you have around $1000 is where camcorders start getting really good for you know at least semi-professional use and you know you just sony makes some great ones canon makes some great ones panasonic makes some great ones as well those are the ones i would stick with and it's it's kind of just about what works within your budget and what you um you know what has the features that you that you need so now if you're figuring out okay You're going to do your video podcast, you know where you're going to put your video podcast, you know, whether you're going to record internally, or external, you kind of figured out all these things. The last thing I want to touch on is how to set up a three camera setup. Because even though I said, I would recommend starting with a single camera just for the sake of simplicity, adding in other cameras is a very natural thing to do. And if you're starting off with more than one person on your podcast, it's something you'll probably want to do pretty quickly you don't have to. I mean, like I mentioned, there's plenty of shows with, you know, three hosts, four hosts that just use one wide angle. Heather and I do the couples table every week. That is just one angle of us sitting side by side for pretty much the whole time. So you don't have to have multiple angles. But the standard way to do it would be three angles. If you have two people, I guess you could do three, three angles with more than two people as well. But we're going to start with a two person setup, three camera angles, and that would just be a master shot and then two singles. And what that means is your master shot would be a camera that films everything. That's, that's probably right in the middle of the two people. You see both people in frame. You probably see as much of the set or the area that you're filming as possible. And that's your main angle where you're probably gonna start the show, probably end the show, and an angle you would cut to anytime both people are talking or there's a lot of back and forth or something like that. Then you would have two other cameras getting single shots, one of each person. That would probably be more of like a medium shot where you're kind of filming from the middle of their chest to just above their head. Like definitely use your rule of thirds and learn about framing and all that kind of stuff. And each person is going to have their single shot. And that way, you know, you can cut to the master shot when the show starts. When one person's talking, you can cut to their shot You can cut to the other person's shot, back to the master shot, and cutting between these three shots is pretty much all you need to make a really, really, really dynamic show. And that's, you know, not even taking into account if you're going to add in things like graphics or, you know, B-roll footage or whatever else, depending on how heavily produced your video podcast is going to be. But that's kind of the typical three camera setup. There is something really important that might be a little difficult for me to communicate via audio only, so video might be a good idea for this. Uh, But that is the 180 degree rule when it comes to using multiple cameras. What this means is you want to make sure it doesn't magically look like people switch places while you switch camera angles. So let's, let's imagine you have two hosts sitting at a table, right, like one person on one side of the table, one person on the other, and they're facing each other. Then imagine you have your master camera angle down at like the end of the table, so host A is on the left of the screen, host B is on the right side of the screen. What you wanna do is make sure that your other two cameras stay on that same half of the table. So you would probably have a camera to the left of the main one that's pointed to host B, and that's their single shot, and you would have a camera to the right of the, the master shot pointed to host A, and that's their main angle. If you break the 180 degree rule, what that means is while the, the camera is at one end of the table, your other shots are kind of like from the other side of the table. And what that's going to do is we're going to see the master shot where one person is on the left, one person's on the right. But then when we cut to their single shots, they're going to be like facing the other direction. And it's going to look like they have switched spots. And sometimes then you can also end up with scenes where if you're... Instead of cutting from one person, okay, sorry, let's, go, let's talk about camera framing here. <laughs> when you give them a little bit of look space, so the direction someone is looking, there's a little more space in the frame in that direction. That should be towards the person they're talking to, right, most of the time. So if you cut from one host, they have look space on one side of the screen. You cut to the other host, they would want it. You would want it to be like they're looking towards each other in the same direction. When you break that 180 degree rule, you can sometimes make it look like people are facing away from each other or they're both facing the same direction. And it just gets, <laughs> it gets really weird and really confusing. And it, it makes it look like people are teleporting all the way around. It sounds confusing. The big thing to remember is like, essentially all three of your cameras are next to each other. Don't put them on opposite sides of the room, opposite sides of a table, because that's when you run the risk of inadvertently breaking the 180 degree rule. And that can be very confusing for something like a video podcast. And then it takes, you know, a lot of trial and experimentation to get better and better and better. I know a lot of people look at, you know, very popular video podcasts and want to duplicate those. And I think that it's cool to use those as inspiration, just like looking at a popular YouTube channel when you're starting a YouTube channel. But it's important to remember too, like, if you're looking at, you know, I always have people asking me how to make shows like Joe Rogan's show. I don't li- I don't listen to or watch Joe Rogan, but I know he's got what, thousands of episodes at this point. He's been podcasting for way over a decade, right? They've probably ironed out some, some bugs and glitches. I know he switched sets a couple years ago and it looked like he was in a deep fryer for a while and they had to kind of like <laughs> switch it up a bit again. So it it always, you know, there's always fine tuning being done. But if you're looking at something like, oh, I expect my first episode of this show to look the same as another show that has a budget and thousands of episodes and many years of experience and a crew working for them, you're probably setting yourself up for a little bit of failure. So be very realistic with what you have. And that is where it's probably like, let's just set up one camera. Let's just figure out how to get high quality audio, decent looking video record that, put it together and upload it in a way that doesn't you know, take half of my life every week because it's such an insane workflow. And ironing out that workflow is what's gonna make the video podcast more sustainable, make your overall podcast more sustainable. And that is really important because that's what's gonna help you to keep doing it for as long as you want to for the foreseeable future. So I threw a lot of info at you. It's kind of like teaching calculus in an hour and <laughs> I apologize. But hopefully it kind of like, it might sound like I'm trying to discourage you from starting a video podcast and I'm absolutely not. I just, I know so many times people bite off more than they can chew and I've seen so many people dive into, we're gonna start a video podcast, it gets way overwhelming, way difficult, and then they stop, whereas I think they probably would have kept going if they only started with an audio only podcast. You can add video at any time, remember that, like if you've got audio down, you wanna add video, you can do that at any time. You don't have to do it right from the beginning. And creating a video podcast can be super fun. It can be the right move for your show. It can be the best way to get discovered, connect with an audience. Just know that it's a huge workflow and understand the things that go into it so you don't you don't find yourself, you know, wasting time accidentally not recording episodes or having cameras overheat or, you know, troubleshooting how to combine footage from different cameras and all that kind of stuff. So very, you know, it's pretty intense, but it can be absolutely worth it. And, you know, at this point, too, if you have any tips or tricks, I'd love to hear them. So feel, feel free to share those as well. Uh, next week's episode is going to be our season 11 Q&A episode. So keep an eye out. If you're listening to this when it first came out, keep an eye out on like my Instagram and YouTube and stuff. I'll put out a call for questions sometime in the next week before that episode uh, is recorded. And that way you can submit questions. But of course, as you know, you don't have to wait for the QA episode. You can always just go to hi my Name is tom.com and leave a voice message for the podcast or just send an email to tom at enthusiasmproject.com. And that does include if you have any, you know, awesome workflow hacks or advice or tips or anything for video podcasting, feel free to send those in. If you do want to know, you know, some basic tips for or some basic recommendations for equipment setups, check the link in the description because I've got quite a few of those uh, put together on my website and like I mentioned at the beginning, if you want to dive into a course, if you want to learn audio podcasting production through the Podcaster Playbook, if you want to come up with the, you know, develop a great idea for your podcast through the Podcaster Idea Book, or you want to learn more about editing with Final Cut Pro, uh, go to is Tom.com slash courses, or use the link in the description, and be sure to use promo code ENTHUSIASM to get 10% off any or all of those courses. I'm only putting that promo code in these two episodes right here, so... I'm excited because when people use them, it means like, ah, oh, they listen, they listen to the episode or someone who listened to the episode told them about this. Uh, I guess that's fine too. But anyway, I appreciate you. Uh, I really hope this file finalizes on the DLZ creator. If so, it'll be my first uh, problem free recording with the DLZ. And that is pretty cool. So thanks for listening. I hope you have a safe, happy, healthy, fun rest of your week. And I will see you next time.